0: This episode of Common Sense Mia will be talking to the founder of the Heritage Club, a Massachusetts-based dispensary set to open up later this summer. The Heritage Club is Boston's first Black and first female-owned dispensary. Nikki John, welcome to Common Sense Mia. I'm very happy to have you here. Thanks for joining. Hi. Yep. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. The uh, one of the bittersweet things about like. I, you know, whatever call can Cana planners is what it is. It's here. We're doing better than last year. So I don't want to jinx it by calling it a successful company, but let's call it a growing company. One of the bittersweet things of having a growing company is like you, you know, I'm not the face of the company, you know, like I'm not doing all of the sales anymore. I'm not out there, you know, meeting all the clients. So this is actually the, and you're a can of planners client. Um, we're going to launch your website pretty soon. Uh, But this is the first time I've actually talked to you. And that's like one of the bittersweet things about this is like, there's all these new clients and a lot of them, you know, we've doubled our clients in the last, you know, tripled in the last two years. So there's all these people that I don't really know. So I'm excited to meet and talk to you for that reason. But also I'm psyched to hear the story, Nikki.
1: Yeah. So, um, that, I totally feel that where you're like not in every aspect of every piece. And like, you have to have that trust that like the people who are out there are, are kind of keeping with what you think the mission is, but like yeah. adding a little bit of their own bit to the sauce. Uh-huh. I know it's like that balance. Um, so yeah, coming from where we started to where we are now, my mom brought cannabis to my attention. She was like, check this out. And I was like, mom, <laughs> that's I the opposite story of what happened with my mom. My mom's <laughs> like, no, <laughs> she's like, this can't be your job. And I'm like, yeah, my mom brings this up. I was like, mom, I'm like, I don't even smoke weed. I was like, what does this have to do with me? And I think that's like the naive part of like where I started to like what dro- like has driven me to kind of stick with it and to stay involved. And she's like, Well, I know you like helping people and I know you like social justice. And I found that weed you had. <laughs> I was you like, lied okay. to your yeah. mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had it, but like I was like, I'm never that person who's at the party where like, oh Nikki, like she brought the yeah. weed. Like, fine, Nikki. Yeah, yeah, Nikki's got it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, like that was like a one-time thing. But I was like, all right, cool. Let me look it up. And I would missed the window um, for economic empowerment. And so I was already discouraged. I was like, okay, this isn't going to work out. I was like, I missed the window. There's no way. And then I saw they had the social equity program. And I was like, let me sign up for this. Signed up, waited to hear back, got in. And it was literally the way I qualified. It was one of those things where I felt like a magical bit to it. So I lived off campus when I went to Northeastern and my housing um, for that was on Gainsborough Street Mm -hmm. in Fenway. It's a gorgeous street with brownstones. And I put it in as a joke. I was like, no way. And that was a street that was an area impacted by the war on drugs and the census counted it. And I was like, the only way this works is that I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to do it. And from that day. I use that as kind of like my why I can't give up is because it like, I just don't believe in like accidents and coincidence. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this. And so after that, I lived in Quincy, which was an area of impact. And then being able to apply, get into the program, learn about cannabis, and then seeing that all of these businesses tend to not have anyone who looked like me as an owner. A lot of people worked in the space, but not as an owner. That kind of made me feel like, okay, I got to do this. So all of these things kind of lined up. I applied and I thought you apply and they just give it to
0: you. <laughs> like I was like, that's no, no, easy. no, 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 no. No, nope. the fun. That's where all the fun begins. Bureaucracy. Right. Exactly. So I learned a lot about politics,
1: about business, um, fundraising. I've been in real estate for 10 years up to now. So I understood like working with people's sales, like mm-hmm. pitching myself and, and business and all of that, but bringing that to like this higher level and to a, regulated market into something taboo it was a lot of it was a a lot
0: different uh, yeah well we're going to get to all that in the you've already told you you've and that's it folks that's been nikki john end of story (laughs) uh no we're going to get into all that stuff i'm interested in your mom she's a medical doctor correct Yes. Yeah, there is no way you were hiding anything from her. Let me let me say that first and foremost. I want to get into all this. But first, I want to talk about cannabis. I want to talk about entrepreneurship. I want to talk about um, you know, the social equity components and all of that. Um, but first I want to talk about something that you and I share. Do you do you know what it is? Oh, is it the chocolate labs? <laughs> that's one thing. That's one of two. Do you know what we share professionally beyond you oh. being a planters client? What is it? So something I talk about on this podcast often and fondly uh, is my retail experience at Apple. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, you and I were both specialists in the red zone. Is that right? Yes, that was me. Did yep. They call it the red zone. Then yeah, we it was there? the red zone. I was in the red zone. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, I'm I'm very curious. So that experience for me was super formative. Uh, absolutely, like it. I would say professionally speaking, it was one of those turning points for me that like, even though it was, you know, and I to, I'm not diminishing retail, but even though it was retail, even though I worked in a mall, like all of those things, uh, it was super formative and helped me kind of get my proverbial shit together professionally. Okay. So I'm curious about your experiences there and, and if it's shaped the Nikki John I'm talking to today. So first of all, where did you work? Let's so I worked there. at
1: Chestnut Hill at the okay. highest grossing per square foot
0: store in the country at the time. That's a big store. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. South, Shore, South Shore Plaza is where I started.
1: OK, yep. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> and like it was just I didn't know, it just happened like I was literally waiting to get my computer fixed. And one of the specialists in the place, like, you should work here. And I was like, OK, <laughs> like this is how I end up places. People tell me things <laughs> and I do it. Yeah, and yeah. so I applied and. The vibe was like, I just like the vibe, the way like people talk to you there. They're very welcoming. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know what drove like you to like apply and like end up joining, but it's a really special group of people and a special company, whether you use a Mac or not. I just like, that's what they've created. And I've definitely taken a few things from what I learned there. And from what I learned selling people their first computers sometimes to hopefully some people their first joint and how it's really scary on both
0: sides, if you don't know how to use it. So, yeah, yeah, it's the exact same. <laughs> it totally is, uh, and I'm. The, what's actually interesting to me is that, you know, in checking you out online and and you know, LinkedIn and all that stuff, doing my due diligence on you, you've had quite a bit of gap in your retail experience. So, I haven't gone back, <laughs> and it's because um, I mostly hate people, uh, which is why I don't work in retail anymore. Um, but I'm curious, like. You know, you're going, you're going back to retail. So there was obviously something there that you know, um, kind of pulled you back in. What, what about retail? I think, uh, it's, I think it's
1: the. There's retail, and then there's like educational retail, and I think that's yeah. what Apple does well is where they like oh teach my God. You whether you buy the product and it's intuitive, or and like the packaging makes sense, all of that, or the like in-store like, the people are approachable. I think those are the two things that I take. I think other people take from Apple that it's like a sterile space. And it's really funny seeing people who haven't worked at the store who have maybe gone into it and have used that in their design in cannabis. And I don't think that this is meant to be like a sterile space. I think it is, there should be a little vibrancy, a little bit more excitement to it. But the Mm -hmm. thing that I like the most is just being able to make anybody feel welcome, no matter your budget, no matter your experience level. That's what I liked about it. Whereas there is that like, there are like the Gucci's and like the high end luxury retail that some people, are they don't want to ever walk into that store because they know they can't afford it. And so I feel like that's the cool thing about Apple specifically that kind of made retail more interesting. Um, but I don't think otherwise, maybe it would have been my favorite thing. I was hoping to become a genius and I realized yeah. now
0: <laughs> that, that I, wasn't uh, the path. I went to business sales. I don't know if the, if, if the business oh, yeah. team was still a thing while you it's were there, still the, black, there the now. black polos, you know, I, I, I was destined to wear a black polo um, yes. for sure. And, you know, yeah, like I said, you know, and working in Quincy, working at the South shore Plaza, definitely. Um, it taught me sales skills that I didn't have before. And I, you know, I had a bit of a sales background before that, but that, um, unassuming, non-aggressive, not even assertive uh, approach to um, sales was right up my alley, <laughs> right up my alley. And that's, and that is for sure one thing. Um, I, I mean, I'll never forget it. And it, and this, it, let me, let me get you to where I'm going here, but I can remember you know, when I first started um, on the business team and my manager at the time, said something to me that was like, it took me a minute to understand, which was, you know, I, you know, I, I someone had a deal. It might've even been me, but someone on the t- team had some huge deal for some, you know, new uh, startup in, you know, in Boston or something like that. <clears throat> and that specialist wasn't asking the right questions to these people and was selling them like, you know, high-end video editing machines, you know, like he just wanted to get that sale and, the, the feedback, which fearless feedback, I mean, a huge part of the Apple culture, you know, behind the scenes, the feedback was, you don't, you, you know, no one here cares about how big that ticket is for you. Like, it's not about that. It's really, it's about finding the solution that's actually going to help that customer. So meaning like you don't have to go and sell them the biggest, highest, most expensive machine. In fact, like almost nobody that, you know, walks into this store needs that. So when you're asking the right kinds of questions, how are you using this thing? You know, like, how do you want to use your phone or like what whatever um, those kinds of probing questions? Have you heard me say almost every Apple buzzword, by the way, pro. Yeah, I'm loving it. No, I, feedback like, <laughs>
1: yeah, I feel very grounded. I was like, I need to take some notes again.
0: <laughs> but that sort of mentality of like, we're not selling cars here. We're not trying to like, you know, get everybody's money. And through that mentality, we're going to get everybody's money. Right. Because yeah. now that person trusts me. So like coming back here, the, the one of the one of the things that, and, and to, to, to put a pin in this meandering thought, one of the things I definitely took to heart in come in building can of planners was the same idea. Do I want everybody to buy the most custom website we sell? Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Is it the right fit for everybody? No, like less than half need that, you know, uh, level of that level of service. We need to ask the right kinds of questions and figure out what this customer wants. So <laughs> with that with that said, I'm curious what you're bringing with you from that kind of Apple culture. And we can go through kind of the real estate side of things too. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but what are you kind of bringing with you in terms of like developing your vibe of customer service? And what are you kind of leaving at the Apple store or even yeah. a vibe real uh, residential Yeah. Thing.
1: So I think um, especially from Apple, obviously the focus on people, I want to take that with me. That's something where I think people keep switching companies in cannabis. And that's oh because God. I don't think the focus is on people, even if the mission statements, even no. if they say that it can't be true. If you can't keep your employees, Apple can keep you, I didn't even want to leave i was just in school and i was like i have to i always thought i would go back so it's funny that like yeah still haven't gone back gone back to retail but not apple but i think that like community that you build like i'm still really connected to the people i worked with at the store i had a really good time working with the customers all different types and you had some that were needier than others where you really had to explain stuff um but the other thing was they had if you didn't know everything about the product it was right there on like next to the tablet, the basics, whatever you needed. And you could always ask anybody else on the sales floor. And it was like a really good interaction. Um, So I think, but it was sleek. It was simple. There wasn't always, there wasn't too much information. It doesn't always have to be a big booklet on weed or whatever it is that you're selling for you to get across how it works. Um, But that there was an educational section. I think that's the thing that a lot of the retail experiences that we're having now are, is that if these end up being CVS, which one do you go to? It doesn't matter. But if you can make this where there is an educational portion and you sit down at this table and watch someone roll a J because you've never rolled one before. Well, now that's the story you go to because like now you want to know about concentrates. Now you want to know about like edibles and like what dose you can have. And you want to even know how to open the packaging instead of stabbing it with scissors. Like that's (laughs) the kind of things that we want to have is where I'm going to show you. Like, we're going to have videos of every single product we sell. I want a video of, like, me or someone on the team opening it so that you don't get home and, like, you're not on your own. There's something about yeah. that like, not feeling by yourself with Apple I liked. And that they service you from the beginning to the end to when it breaks. Even if that means they sell you a new iPhone, you still go back to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Game.
0: I remember yeah. my my first product launch was uh, iPad, like, the oh, first okay. iPad. Oh. And... <laughs> Back then, uh, back then, part of the part of the launch day. It, this, I think, they only did it. Maybe they might have even only done it like that year. Um, but part of the customer journey, <laughs> part of the customer journey when getting the first iPad was to unbox it for the customer. I don't know why, but I can remember that day like it was yesterday, and there was a line out the mall you know, as there was at probably every Apple store in the, in the world. Uh, but there was a line out of the South shore Plaza. Um, and on my fourth iPad, like the air conditioning wasn't working or something like that. Oh, no, it was the first iPad. And i pulled an all nighter, right. Like done the overnight to like uh. set up the store, whatever. No one knew what an iPad was until like, you know, five o'clock that morning when they finally put them on the floor. So anyway, like, <laughs> I'm done, right? It's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. The door's open. First guy comes in uh, and I pull out the iPad and I'm unboxing it. And I'm like a big, fat, sweaty mess. And I pull the iPad out of the case and I take the thing off it. And like slow, the slowest of motion, I see like from my periphery, a drop of sweat just go Boop like on onto the brand new like the first ipad sold at the south shore plaza (laughs) and i'm like yo man i'm just gonna return this for you like i'll just get you a new one (laughs) yeah yeah uh that person definitely remembered their first ipad but that's awesome though like that's
1: the thing is that it's this whole like idea of like keeping everything so pristine that you're like oh i can't (laughs) sell
0: them this (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I couldn't. I'm like, bro, I'm so sorry. That's a gross sweat, sweat scene on your new iPad. Let me get you a fresh one. Uh, yeah. My manager wasn't psyched. First iPad returned because of no reason. <laughs> uh, but I, that, that launch day thing was like, that was also an eye opener for me because I, I, so after the South shore Plaza, I moved to New York city and I worked at the cube. I worked at, you know, I worked at the cube for a while. Um, I worked you know I worked at these huge stores in Manhattan and those lines that you know went out the South Shore Plaza in New York like went down Broadway or like went up Central Park you know they were like humongous they were hours and hours long people would come days before to stand in these lines but that to me like even then I was like wow like that is buzz right there that is buzz they didn't even pay for like no one's you know they're not putting out commercials yet for this thing. And all there's a line that, you know, stretches for hours. So I'm curious, like, and I'm a sneaker guy, you can't see, but I'm, oh, you can't see. Yeah. I, I, I'll break my camera if I show you. I'm a sneaker guy. And that kind of is in the sneaker world too, of just like that, the drops, right? I'm curious if, if that's something that, you know, uh, had an impact on you. And if you're bringing that kind of thing you know just like that that buzz you know create that community buzz by having the coolest new thing that people don't even know what it is
1: exactly i mean so what we're working on is it is called the heritage club and we are going to have a club so you can become Mm -hmm. a member and that will give you exclusive access to exclusive things that can't be talked about quite yet (laughs) so i think there will be yeah, exactly. So, like, that's, you you want to have that. You want to feel special. Like, otherwise, like, yeah. what's going to make us different besides customer service, which everyone says they have, besides benefits and taking care of your people, which everyone says they have. But like I said, we have, like, yet to see. But being able to do that and do it with consistency, that's what Apple was so good at. It was like, yeah. you knew what you, you didn't know what you were getting, but you knew how you'd get it. <laughs> you knew you'd go yeah. and you'd wait and then the people would tell you about it and you'd take it home and you'd be so psyched. Like, and you want to feel like that experience when you go into a store. Otherwise, why can't Amazon come in and take this over? Like, what's going to be the thing that makes a retail experience special? Um, it's that it's the way that people talk to you and they talk to you very differently at Apple. Like, we, I don't know if you ever had like whether you were on the like specialist side or business side, when people would come in, they're like, oh, well, this broke or all my contacts are gone. And a lot of companies like they'd say, you say, oh, the, I would hate if that happened to me. Maybe you don't apologize, you don't say I'm sorry. Like I think everyone has a different policy around that. But the first thing you do is you acknowledge the customer and hear what they're saying. And now I think the way they do customer service is they say, oh, I'm sorry, like I actually am the wrong person for you to talk to. And now that immediately puts that customer in a really bad frame of mind where they're like, did you not hear what I just said? Like, I just lost all my contacts, you know? So like that acknowledgement of the fact that they're human and this is a human interaction, if you can keep that front of mind in cannabis, It's gonna be really special, but I don't think that that's where we are. Um, I had to since I don't smoke a lot or use a lot of cannabis, and now I'm like learning. I try everything; like I'm not afraid to try stuff. But I feel like um, of my friends who I know smoke every day, and I asked them, I was like, "What do you guys like or dislike about going into a dispensary?" And a lot of people have said they feel rushed, and nobody Mm -hmm. wants to talk to them. And I don't think Mm -hmm. I've ever gone to the Apple Store and felt like. I feel like they wanted to talk to me. Like, you know, like I really think yeah. we might be friends. you. <laughs> yeah. <Come> on, <laughs> and like, I love that. Like, I have to think, I'm like, did they mean that? <laughs> like, yeah, like that's they did. It. Yeah. And they did. And like, that's the cool thing is you really like felt listened to. And that I want to take. I love it. But that's so be... cool that you worked at the Cube too. Because going to see other oh, Apple yeah. stores, I went to some in Barcelona. I went anytime I traveled, I'd go see Back of House right? Yeah. And the idea that
0: everywhere you go, it's the same and different. I like that too. Yeah. And find me any company like that, you know, is international and has employees that give two shits enough to go visit the company on their day off. You know what I mean? So I told, you know, I, I'm with you. I did that too. For we sure. drink the Kool-Aid, but it's good Kool-Aid. Like I'm going to keep it really is. There, There is a you know, a, 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 for sure camaraderie, like a fraternal sort of, you know, or whatever that just sort of closeness for sure. And I don't know, I, I'm, um, I i could not tell you exactly why, other than all of those things, which that you just, that we were just talking about, which seemed pretty blanket. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, at least for me, unlike any, anything I'd experienced professionally, let's enough about Apple. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm. I want to talk to you a little bit about the Entrepreneurs Club at Northeastern. I don't know if that's something you are like hugely active in, but it is on your. It was important enough to add to your LinkedIn page. Yes. So I'm always fascinated. I am like, I'm an. I, I'm not an entrepreneur. I just play one on TV. You know what I mean? Like, I'm figuring this out every day. I learn fifty things. Sort of, you know, I have no experience prior to starting players, not really. Um, so I'm always amazed when I meet people who know maybe a little bit of what they're doing when they when they start a company. So I'm kind of I'm kind of curious now, looking back, you've been, you've, you know, been out of Northeastern for a little while now. Uh, I'm curious if that prepared you, if you're bringing any of those tools with you along the way. Definitely.
1: Yeah. So I was a part of the idea Venture Accelerator at Northeastern and I was trying to, when I started Vibe, start a roommate app. I wanted to help people find roommates better. I had so many bad roommate experiences and I was like, I need to make this better. I know a lot of people around that same time were coming out with something that was supposed to replace Craigslist and kind of be like a dating app. And I don't think that that has really, I don't know if it's completely panned out, but the thing that I wanted to add to that layer was how to match people Based off of your budget and your commute, and basically make everything mix and make it all fit together. Um, and when I started with the accelerator, they're like, "What are like the like main, main value propositions? Your MVPs? Like, what is it that you're really bringing?" And I think in cannabis, I was able to kind of like look at that and say, like, "How are we going to bring something that's luxurious but approachable?" Like those are the two things. Like I think there's a lack of branding in the space, but I also think that the retail experience is missing some like something that makes it special. So those two things are kind of like what the I was able to drill down to like what's going to make Heritage different and how do we educate those those things. Um, but going through the accelerator, there's a lot of working on your deck. There's a lot of learning to pitch, which you have to get really comfortable with if you're going to raise funds. Not even just to like spread your business, but to raise funds and get other people to hear what you're saying, believe what you're saying, and then be able to retell it to somebody else. Right. So through idea and through, I was part of the DeMora McKim school, which is a business school. I ended up transferring there from GW. I was pre-med. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was like, mom, I'm not going to be a doctor. I just think I should just drop out. (laughs) My mom's like, no, no, you're not. (laughs) And so I transferred to Northeastern and started studying finance and minored in psych because I was like, if you can understand money and people, you have like, what can't you do? I was like, I yeah. know you need money for a lot of things, and I know you need people, but then doing that and then joining idea, I was able to make idea like oh, the whole point get an idea. What an
0: interesting and, observation, like yeah, and to take you got to know people and you need money, like mm-hmm. yeah, duh, like seems like such a simple thing, but if, so right? yeah, let me be an entrepreneur and figure <laughs> out you know take some psychology classes. That's I mean that's right? a logical, yeah, that's that's simple math in my brain. It's yeah, exactly. So I was like, all right, well, then I'll just put these two things together. And like
1: through that, also being through Northeastern, they have it's an international school, thousands of students, thousands of alumni. Um, The co op program there, I think, is like the coolest thing because they had me work a 40 hour work week for a semester. And that really Sparked me to never want to do that again. Mm, (laughs) So I think that was like really (laughs) pivotal. Whereas like some people left that being like, "Cool, here's the job I wanted a desk," and I was like, "No, no, no desk. (laughs) No, I'm actually here working from my bed because this is where everything comes alive for me." (laughs) But I think that was really important. You're living the dream. You're living. Yeah, yeah, trying, trying, (laughs) and I I think it's working. But I think that was really cool to be able to see that and then see how working as an intern was uh a next step if you did want to stay in that industry seeing some of my friends who co-opt and then became that was their first job it takes that guesswork out of leaving college and finding out what's next even though that wasn't what happened for me I still like I still think it's the coolest model um so I still go back to a lot of alumni events and I'm always happy to hear from them I feel like not everyone is like happy to get mail from college but I love it
0: (laughs) I think they're great They'll, they'll they'll get it all out of you don't worry Oh yeah. Soon as, as soon as they see the headline, Nikki John makes first million in right? Boston, Canada. They'll be like, "Oh, Nikki, great job!" You remember the uh, Entrepreneur Accelerator? It's like, oh, that. Oh yeah, that one. Hey up. Exactly, <laughs> right. Um. So, from there, you know, post graduation, a short career, sort of a short agency career. So that was you. You took a job, kind of knowing full well, because you had the experience through your internship that maybe you weren't destined to be the best employee yeah no (laughs) (laughs) i was not and it's not because i can't do the work i actually like
1: anybody can
0: uh if anybody can kind of align with you on that it's me for sure
1: you get it it's like you could do the job it's like not that i can't do it I just know, like, it will suck the joy out of me.
0: <laughs> so yeah, there's that. There's the maybe uh, ego, and I'm talking about myself. Like, I'm not gonna project onto you, yeah. but there's the there's the ego of thinking maybe I'm a little smarter than my bosses, or that they're doing things incorrectly, and that my oh, way is yeah. maybe a little more efficient, or um, that stuff. Will ego is play real. You. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, ego oh, is totally. Real.
1: A hundred percent. I was just taking this class where they explain there's like your big ego and your small ego and your small ego tells you you can't do it. Like, you know, like, I don't know if before starting Canada Planners, you're like, whether that's like what other people say, you hear what they say and it like makes this you afraid. This my
0: favorite stuff to talk about.
1: Yeah. And then you have your big yeah. ego who's like, I don't need your help. I don't need anybody's help. I can do this all by myself. Like they're wrong. They don't know anything. Um, or there's the big ego that really is confident is willing. And it's not always a bad thing. You need to have all all three of them, a balanced ego, a big ego, and a small ego. But like being able to check whichever one's in your way when you need Mm -hmm. to, that's the difference between getting there or not. (laughs) That's it.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think the, uh, the ironic thing about big ego, little ego is your little ego, at least in the beginning, is way louder than your big ego. You know, for me, it was, and and I so this is a huge topic of this podcast, which is like the entrepreneurial's journey as it relates to being a human on this planet, which is mostly you know, and this is pretty general for Americans, but like, you know, generally speaking, in this day and age, it's a lot of I can't, I shouldn't, I won't, I can't because those things that your little ego is saying, but it's like screaming in the back of your brain, like, no, no, and your big ego is again, me far quieter. It's like, and it's not as aggressive. It's like, you know, you, you actually, you, you can do it. You actually can do it. And once, once you kind of break out of, once you balance those voices, the, the decibel level of those voices in your brain, amazing things happened. Like it, it alter- and again, this is me. I don't know if you can relate, but it all, alter- you know, once you stop listening to your little ego, or at least maybe doing the opposite of what it's telling you to do, you know, it, you're, you are doing the things it says that you cannot um, that voice shuts the fuck right up and your confidence level boom it's like through the roof and that's when real business can start happening once you're like get past the person you know your own own internal demons and personality quirks that's when you can do meaningful stuff exactly that's the cool part is the meaningful stuff about it but you definitely get
1: caught you're stuck in your own way and like i love the like do or do not there is no try part like i feel like that's Mm. what i feel about like either You're i'm starting star I'm wars thinking. on
0: common sense of me i had
1: to i, had to oh my because God. Like, how I are we best healthy. friends nikki john <laughs> I, no i love it yoda he loves me <laughs> there is but no try I, it's true You have to. like if you just say look i'm gonna try like that's not gonna work not in boston maybe maybe if i had done somewhere else like i could have just gone but um i did go to a few other small towns and you get there and it's like parks and rec you go into the office and they're like oh well, if you just go to that office right next to mine They know about it. (laughs) And like in Boston, it's like, oh, no, like there's 80 steps and you are not at the right one. (laughs) And figure them all out yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I think like having gone through it before they set up the equity program that they're really like, they're really building it out now, Um, which is it's great to see these programs coming up. But like, where were they when I needed them? But they couldn't have come up because nobody was telling them what the problem was. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even if they saw it, I don't think anybody knew really how to tackle it. And now there's like an outpour of information from everybody just saying, okay, this financing is a problem. Financing is a huge problem. Um, there's the other people who are saying like getting an HCA is a huge problem. Like how does this work and why is it so slow? So like now they can troubleshoot those things. But if you get in your own head and you're like, no way, can I get it in Boston?
0: You're so
1: right. Told me no, I was like, but I'm from Boston. And I like Boston. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. that. like I just was like in my head about like how I really wanted that to happen. And I wasn't going to let anybody tell me anything otherwise.
0: So that's why I'm like, you decide it. And then it what's I mean, George, Car- maybe George Carlin. I don't know someone. And I'm going to paraphrase the shit out of this. But it's like, if you think you can, you're right. If you think you can't, you're right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so like you decide and that there's no I don't think that tells you the timeline of how, no. how old. But that it can be done. I think that if you can approach any problem you have with that outlook, you'll find the solution. It could be painful, (laughs) but like you can find it.
0: I. That's amazing. Yeah, what a great sentiment. Um, So talk. Take me through like the maybe last two months at your prior agency. First four months at. Well, talk. Tell me about what's five. Tell me about yeah. Vibe Residential. Yeah.
1: So Vibe Residential is a real estate brokerage. And I started it while I was wrapping up college, right as I was graduating. I really thought like, you know, if he can do it, and this was my boss and mentor at the time, Nick Ward, I was like, well, <laughs> he can do it. I can do it. Like, why not? Mm-hmm. And I think I'm like, that's your big ego. That's like the little part of me yeah. that's like a little messed up. Who's like, anything you can do, I can do better. I don't yeah. think I did better, but I think I did better fine. You know, like I don't, a lot of businesses fail in their first year and I was able to like keep the business going. I think that was all I was trying to do there. And the one thing that I've learned between keeping the business growing, um, going and growing to getting a business to a place where if you stepped away, it would still run. I had two different mindsets. So one was, are we floating? And they say like, um, if you're like, this is a house of cards quote, treading water for people like us is the same thing as drowning. And it's like, yeah, like every day, like I'm doing something, I'm making it happen, I'm making money, but like, is that where I want to go? Like, what is reaching your goal? And realizing that with all of these businesses, you want to get to a place where, kind of like where you are now, where maybe you don't do all of the sales, you know, like somebody else is out there doing it and you can trust and it can run. And if you took a month off, new business would still come in. So I think everyone needs to get their business to wherever their goal is of like, here's how I fit into it. Now, here's how I fit into it. Three, five, 10 years from now. um, That's like a big lesson I learned from all of that. But when I started, I was like, I'm just going to run a real estate brokerage that focuses on millennials. That was before millennial was a bad word, you know, (laughs) like now it's a bad word, but like focus on people who are finding their first apartments, finding their first homes, and they're getting overlooked. A lot of people didn't like working um, with recent like seniors in college and college grads and I was like well that's the perfect person for me to work with I'm going to work with them now and I'll work with them for the rest of their lives as long as they're in Boston um, and I really have been working with a lot of my clients over the past it's been like a decade um, and it's been really cool to watch them go from living with their buddies getting engaged to like having a kid moving yeah, to the birds yeah. and I've been through every step of that with them which is a really different I mean again, going back to Apple, like how do you serve as a client in like perpetuity? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like I don't want to, I don't want a PC. Like we had to pick the devices we're going to use in the shop and we're using iPads. Nobody else is using iPads, but like I've been brainwashed and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's. You have how- been
0: brainwashed and I uh, am, I am fully on board with it. You right? were talking to a former brainwashy, uh, uh, still brainwash. You're, I have, apple all in front of me there's you <laughs> do and i'm
1: like this is the stuff yeah, we you yeah.
0: we go to a trade show i'm like oh an excuse to buy more ipads i don't need <laughs> right
1: you're like this yep yeah. yeah, exactly and they work and that's the <laughs> that's what totally.
0: matters um, um so yeah that's so what so, at, so at the beginning like i mean 10 years that's that's a long time for a business was the goal did you So what were the goals in the beginning? Was the goal kind of like uh, lifestyle, meaning like I want, you know, I want to pay my bills, maybe go on a vacation every so often, like maybe hire a couple employees or was the goal like exit strategy? What's the goal now? So I was 20 and I really
1: like didn't have a bigger plan other than opening this thing and helping all these people find their homes. And like, I really liked it because like something that I still took from that to heritage is helping people find a home, like homelessness, I think really knowing how much stuff costs in Boston, how housing is expensive and increasing in value. That's something we brought to the Heritage Club, which I'll get back to in a second. But I think really genuinely wanting to help people. um, That was like the only goal I had. And I knew I could make money doing it. And it was like the if you build it, they will come thing. But I didn't have an exit for myself. And so the way that is, it's probably going to be something that I kind of just tie a little bow on and hope to get back to later once the shop takes off. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really didn't have an exit strategy. I didn't even really have a launch strategy. And we ended up getting featured on the front page of the globe. And I was like, "Uh oh, I need to tell my boss that I'm going to be in the globe because I still work at his shop. I still work for him. I was like, maybe we could just work together. (laughs) Like, I started to scramble. I really didn't know what was going to happen next. And I was like, cool. Like, you just jump and then you just like, <laughs> you just pull out a little parachute and just maybe it's a plastic bag, hope for the best. <laughs> here <we> so, are.
0: <laughs> so when you were going to be on the front, you know, on the, in the globe or whatever, and you were like, oh shit, I'm going to be outed, you know, professionally outed, you know, which I, th- that same thing, I'll, I wasn't on the front page of the globe, but I was <laughs> building can of planners while simultaneously clocking, you know, going to my nine to five. Um, which was not a sustainable thing, obviously, you know, not a sustainable thing. So, um, that jump, it sounds like was forced. You, you, you didn't jump, you were pushed. Yeah. You were pushed.
1: Oh shoot.
0: And I was in, I was in Brazil.
1: NPR called me to ask if I wanted to speak, but I didn't have good phone service and I missed it. (laughs) And so from that day, I was like, I got to do something big enough. that NPR calls me again. I was like, I don't know what it's going to be. I've just been waiting. They did call me and ask for a blurb one time, but they didn't air it. And I still feel like it's not enough. That's the big ego. But my small ego was like, what That'll do they GBH, you WGBH,
0: like? you sons of bitches?
1: Right. I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I, I felt like I was like, I'm just another realtor. I think there's like 56,000 agents in Massachusetts. I was like, what am I doing? That's so cool. And that speaks mm-hmm. to the fact that there is a lack of service again, mm-hmm. back to the Apple customer service. There's yeah. a lack of customer service in every industry and, people get overlooked, especially when you don't have the money to back it up in real estate or um, even in cannabis. Like it's not about like the the people who are like regular smokers just coming up and picking up their stuff, but there's no engagement with them. So I think that's like the one thing that I've kind of taken through all of these experiences, but with how I brought real estate into cannabis, we're doing a closing cost assistance program and that helps people close on their first homes. So we're pledging $150,000 annually at a minimum. And that should help about 10 people, potentially more, depending upon where closing costs are at that time. House prices are like up and down right now, but Mm -hmm. mostly up in Boston. And the idea is people have their down payment, but they don't have always what they need for closing costs. They don't have reserves. Um, And some of the people don't even have the down payment. But anything we can do to help you buy your first home, that will hopefully trigger generational wealth building. That's the whole idea on like cannabis, your impact plan, like how is this helping communities um, affected by the war on drugs? How is this helping um, generational wealth building? And I think can drives, clothing drives, those things don't help long-term. Um, but what we wanna do is educate and then also give people the tools. And I think it's like, you teach a man to fish, like he can eat for life, but if you teach a man to fish and he lives in the desert and there's no water, what is he really doing? He just looks stupid. Sorry.
0: So we want to be able to give us better lessons.
1: Right. So we want to teach people to fish, (laughs) but we want to bring them to the water, you know, like,
0: so what does that look like in the cannabis industry? So like on the residential, you know, like on the real estate side, you know, that seems like a pretty, obviously a big step, but a pretty simple, you know, route route to take. Exactly. People buy houses. Exactly. What are we doing on the cannabis side? Is it like scholarships? Yeah, so that closing
1: cost uh, that closing cost program is the cannabis dispensaries impact plan. So I realized oh, cool. I didn't oh, want okay. to didn't have to have people join the cannabis industry just because this community was affected by the war on drugs. I was like, you guys can still benefit in other ways. But inside of our like our like programming as far as hiring, is that the goal isn't for someone to be an employee for life. We want you to want to work here for life. But like, if you want to go open your own shop or if you find a promotion that like allows you to move up both in pay and, and title and in this industry, and we don't have that available, the goal is to train people that are, that people want everywhere else. We want you to Hell be yeah. software. We want you to have the skills. We want you to be a leader in your, whatever level you're at. Um, and that hopefully does inspire to people to start their own thing. I don't think it should be that we want you to, stay at our shop the whole time but obviously we'll miss everybody like I feel like that's how it is kind of um a lot of people from Apple like us like there are a lot of entrepreneurs who have left and done things but they create such strong leadership that like it can't help but happen
0: and there's yeah. so many
1: more behind them that you don't feel any kind of like loss because of it just so. hearing you,
0: just hearing you say this right now is like I mean i'm I'm having a realization as you're as you're saying that which is like, yeah, that was another weird thing about working at Apple is like, because we weren't encouraged to make aggressive sales or because we were like encouraged to slow things down. If it took you two hours to sell a phone, like no one cared, you know what I mean? Like the, the, yes, I have have those sales. Yes. same, same. And I'd be like, don't you just want to hang out for a little while longer? (laughs) Um, But, but like, what, what I think that for better or for worse, what I think that instilled in me is like that professional sense of autonomy. It's like, really what we want you to do is take care of the people inside, you know, customers and employees, uh, at Apple. And that, that was my takeaway is like, okay, well, you know, exactly what you're talking about with vibe is I'm going to help this college grad get a, get a, uh, you know, an apartment right right after they graduate, and then I'm going to see them every phase of their life after that. Like that's exactly that's that warm gushy feeling that you know every company should be trying to uh, have their customers walk away with, but many don't. And like, you, it's easy to say that you're a customer service company. Yeah, right. But it's not easy to provide the customer service for some reason. Totally, <laughs> totally. Um, one last vibe question. Well, probably not. But one, one more vibe question is: in in those early months, what was your first contract? I think it was a fir- the first one was a renter. I just got a, a was, bunch what of. What was the first, and what was the meaningful one? So, like that first one is like, oh, thank God, I could do this. And then the the meaningful one is like, okay, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, I got this. Yeah. So the day the article
1: went out, my phone just went off the hook. And I was like, "Uh oh, I don't have enough people to answer the calls. And like, I was like, I'm a failure, like immediate. I was like, I'm a failure. Like, this is bad. Right. But we, it was like this grandmother calling. She's like, I need to help find my grandson an apartment. I was like, this is so sweet. I was like, okay, like, let me find out what you need. <laughs> and then finding out that like, these were real people, like that first rental, um, that was one of those ones where I was like, wow, like I, I think we'll be okay. Yeah. And then I, I think that like, catalyzed into like five other deals within that same week. And I was working nonstop. I started, I had like a few other people working for me, but I really didn't have a lot going on. We had a really small office at WeWork South Station. It was fast, It was fast. And I was like, oh, wow. and everything about it and clients don't come in. So a lot of it, they don't usually come into the office, you meet them at the properties. So I decided not to have a traditional office. I was like, we're virtual. Like, I'll meet you wherever I'll meet you at a coffee shop, I'll meet you at the apartment. And I was like, what if people think that I'm not professional? I had this whole like, oh, my God, but in my two years or three years before that, one client came into the office. And I was like, so why should I pay for office space if nobody's coming in? So I was like, this is like how I'm like, rethinking this, this is all going to work out. And after we had that first one, this was the grandmother that called in. I ended up renting her, her grandson an apartment and he was going to Northeastern. And obviously we had the connection of both being like Northeastern students. And I was like, I'll tell you all about the area. And I felt like I had to be like a tour guide as well, which I kind of have been ever since. Um, but that's when I was like, OK, like I can do this. And then after that, when I had the next five deals, I was like, and we're safe. We're good. <laughs> we're good to go.
0: How how. Uh... For me, like, uh, and I've told this before probably a few times on this podcast, uh, but like, for me, it was such an emotional thing because I don't know how it ended for you at uh, your job before you started Vibe, but uh, let's just say it didn't end so hot for me at my job before I, st- you know, like, as I was starting of Planners. So I can remember walking into work on Monday and walking right back out 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later. Uh, you know, with a box of shit in my hand being like, Oh no, like, what do we do now? And <clears throat> the it was the most embarrassing day. Cause I had to call my wife and be like, I just got fired. Can you turn around on the highway and come get me? You know, cause we share one, you know, whatever. So all yeah. of those things like that range of emotions of being like, okay, I'm definitely a failure. I'm out here, like in the snow, holding like a box of, trash like i don't even care about this shit. The like, stuff you put in trash. your desk right yeah like all the junk about, like whatever and my wife's coming to pick me up um i'm a failure like what am i gonna do now how am i gonna pay rent this month How am, you know like how am i gonna how am i gonna how am i and that's that little ego right that that's the the little ego being like way to go dummy you're fucked <laughs> <laughs> i know, <laughs> you know right? what i mean like hey i was right all along huh and I listened to that voice for the commute home and I said, listen, voice we're done. Um, And I, you know, I think I closed my first deal post being fired like the next day or or maybe two days later. And that was the one, it wasn't my first deal, but it was the most meaningful one because I was like, Oh God, I can can do this. Like I've been doing this, but I've been doing this with the safety net of like a paycheck and healthcare and whatever, like all these comforts that you are brainwashed into thinking like you have to have because your survival depends on it. No, your survival depends on you, Nikki, John. Exactly.
1: No, a hundred percent. I feel like that's exactly how it was. And like, to your point, like it's one of those things where I feel like the door closes behind you but the next door is open. Whether you want to realize it's open or not, it's absolutely, then you has got to go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, so you and, and, and it's back. not about asking for permission, right? Like you're not, like, you're not ringing a doorbell. You're like kicking that motherfucker down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's like the same thing that happened when I left. I was like, there's
1: no going back now. Like, we just have to send it. Like, this is it. And um, we had a launch party coming up and we were going to unveil the app. Mm-hmm. And the developers took it offline and were like, yeah, we're not, we're not giving it to you and so everyone comes to the launch party and there's no app and I'm like let's eat
0: classic launch <laughs> like, party, no launch.
1: launch I was like we're still here like I don't even care I'm still gonna like sell the red houses and like that was the whole thing it was like kind of supposed to be tech-based but ever since it's just been like a traditional brokerage but the untraditional side is that like the exceptional commu- customer service that like I provide personally, as opposed to like this bigger model, which I kind of thought is where we go, but I wouldn't change it. I learned a lot from it and it was so pivotal to like every other experience I've had after and knowing yeah. which opportunities are right and wrong and understanding contracts and talking to yeah. all of it. Like, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for literally the Apple, the real estate, like all 10
0: years of it all. Knowing how to Google stuff.
1: Knowing how to Google stuff, oh my gosh, yeah, what's a
0: tax return, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly, those little so you, things you, you touched on it a little bit in the beginning of this. Um, but draw, you know, take me from real estate, and we should say that vibe residential is still alive, still kicking. Yep, it's still alive, but because like I'm one of the
1: only people there, it may not be for very long,
0: but if you need something, yeah, I can help in the meantime. Holler, holler at me. <laughs> So, so draw the line for me from real estate to cannabis. And you mentioned it, your mom had played a, yeah. a little bit of a part there.
1: Yeah. And she did in both actually. So Talk we used to to go in houses as a kid, and that's mm-hmm. what got me into real estate. But then when she told me to get into cannabis, um, that was the social justice aspect. That was the exciting side of it. My mom well, was that
0: like, now, was that what she saw? Like what, you know, She has a very
1: cool like lens on everything. She always can see like things in a different way. Um, And she was like, no, like you're not getting into it just because like you want like the product, like you're getting into it because of like what it means, like the history of it. Um, And I feel like I really as soon as I looked into that part, it all clicked. I was like, OK, my mom knows me inside and out and she's right. Like, I want to help people. I want to be able to give back. Um, And this space needs diversity more than anything else. So I ended up doing the application, getting involved, and my mom is a doctor who also went to Northeastern for her MBA, was um, working on public health at Harvard, and all of these things, like, she understands, like, wanting to help the greater good and also developing a business. Um, so she's been kind of a sounding board through every single step that I take. I'm like, hey, can you check out the deck? Hey, what do you think of these plans? So I think that's been really key, is having that support and having her be, like, sometimes we disagree a lot of times we disagree but still having like really good input on how to make it better and make it come to life um and it's free advisory it's hard to get advice in this space everybody wants 10 percent if they
0: give you like any advice they're like oh SLPs. i'm like people are doing that man i've missed out on lots of 9.9 Sorry,
1: yeah
0: 9.9 yeah yeah don't want to give up that focus
1: exactly I'm like okay so like what are you gonna do for me I was like that sounds what my mom like what my mom does so yeah it's really good like just business advice um, and then being able to make sure that when you're talking about your business that someone else can understand it who's not in the space so my mom still hadn't been in the space at this point Um, I'm trying to get her to apply in Connecticut but she could understand like the business outline of it all and yeah, so that's kind of like where it started with her to like me actually applying. And I stayed with real estate through that whole time. So this entire three years of trying to get this open, I was still doing real estate, which I think was really fortunate. Some people leave wow. their job when they get into this. So like like you're saying, when you open Canada Planners, like you leave your job and like you're in it. And so I was kind of yeah, able you have to no choice. do both. Well, yeah, and because real estate can be part-time and can be full-time depending on the season. Um, I was able to spend a lot of those off hours going to towns, checking things out, like meeting people, talking to people all day, going to networking events. So that's really all of the stuff I was doing that first year. I really had over a hundred, a hundred meetings. Um, and then through real estate, obviously you have to find a location A little bit of it was understandable, but there was this other part that was like you had to find a landlord who owned the property outright, who was interested in cannabis, who wasn't being approached by ten other
0: people. So this is, and I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but like this is actually, I was thinking about this leading up to this, this uh, podcast, which is okay. What you just said, okay, totally, I that makes perfect sense to me. Like there are barriers to entry, like there's, there's, you know a ton of due diligence so why why did you opt why didn't you just stay in real estate like if if the goal was to like go to cannabis why not go in with the tools you have rather than like again harken back to your your apple retail experience and and why not real estate why not cannabis real
1: estate plenty of that i think i like the one this is like the like diversity aspect of it was I did want to help other people find spaces, and so I have like helped a few people as far as like their search, figuring out like, is it zoned properly, that kind of stuff. But I really felt like there needed to be diverse ownership, mm-hmm. and being a f- black woman owner in this space when that's less than four percent of the oh. entire, I think nationwide industry, but definitely in Massachusetts, yeah, um, that. I like Definitely the no, being told no. Yeah. Like if yeah. somebody tells me that so I can't do something, I'm like, okay, I have to do it. So For it gave sure. a little bit more fuel to it. I don't even think I thought I was going to open this quickly and go right back to real estate, but having gotten into this, I'm like, okay, this is a career now. This is a whole yeah. new thing. I can't just like have done it and moved on. That's such um, an
0: important thing. I'll, let me hold on one second because that, sentiment is hugely important and one another big theme of this of these conversations which is it's very easy for people on the outside looking in to think that this is like you know that we're all chasing bags and you know you know (laughs) normal you know kind of normal industry success right and that's not the case at all and people working in this industry uh, who are really working this industry and are maybe like self-funded or um, you know mom and pop shop or whatever are working like crazy hours crazy crazy hours to make it all work it is not an overnight thing and those companies that you see who are coming in fully funded most of them ain't doing great yeah yep and i think like it's really
1: sad like i think the sad part is like some people are mortgaging their homes or like all these things just to make this happen and with how long the process takes they're putting everything on the line which when you believe in yourself you kind of have to but it's also really scary to do especially in an industry like this where you don't i thought i was at the finish line and i'm going back to the state process which is another 45 to 60 days oh at the mercy of when i get an inspection so i think that part like I say, I learned patience joining this industry. I never had patience like I have now. Uh, I, CCB it, will make
0: you learn how to. Uh,
1: oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And it's like, if, if you can do that, if you can find a way to juggle a few things until it's time to jump and then do the jump, it's a little bit easier on you stress-wise. But there's a level of stress, kind of like you said, when you leave, you're like, did I do the right thing? Or obviously people will buy weed. The question is, Will they buy yours? How many people will? Yeah. And how long? It's really long? not
0: about the weed. It's not yeah. about the weed. No, no.
1: Yeah. And so it's like just getting here, being patient and finding finding landlords, investors, partners, people like you guys who are willing to like say, okay, I understand what you're trying to do. I don't think there's anyone who's like giving anything away where they're like, well, there are a lot of people who have helped for free, but I think there's a way where you can like balance the money we have now and the money we will have, you know, like the, the oh, yeah. ideas, like, how do you spread that in a way that makes it so that you can survive and not work with people who want to bleed you dry immediately because you're like in cannabis, this green tax that you get charged upfront when you're not even a cannabis touching business yet. Yeah. That part I think is like, I hope people push back. I know I did where I was like, we don't have it yet. Like I have to be as honest as I can. Like we don't have it. I know we will. And like, how can I make it good for everybody? involved in the deal. There's a lot of negotiating, a lot of creativity
0: in the cannabis space. A lot of free weed. Yeah, exactly. A lot of barters. Yes. Uh, can you, since I've never experienced it, can you talk to me a little bit about the social equity piece of of your experience? So like my, you know, my experience with social equity or inclusivity is probably most people's, which is seeing large corporations try to co-opt things and they've got, you know, this month they've got pride avatars and uh, you know, there's black squares during, you know, during uh, George Floyd and all that stuff. And part of me like understands the unfortunate marketing spin of that. Uh, Most of me is like grossed out by it. I'm okay. So that's, that's one thing I'm curious your experience with going through the licensing application as a social equity uh, applicant um, and whether or not that was, is going to be kind of like, what was the process? Like, is it going to be long-term a huge part of the company's identity?
1: I think so. Yeah. So going through the process was, I feel like it made it a little bit more difficult, but I don't think I could have gotten through it without the program and the doors that it opens. I don't know if the program opened the doors or being a part of the program, opened the doors, Hmm. if if that makes sense. So there was a class and the courses and then you go out and you make sure you tell everybody else. I'm a social equity applicant. How can we work together? How can you help me? Um, There wasn't very much that like I wouldn't say nothing was like there was some people who were just like, yeah, we're offering these consultations for free. We're doing this, that and the other. Um, There are like organizations like lawyers for civil rights that offer pro bono services for any um, minority owned businesses that qualify. And so if people are thinking about that, that's someone to reach out to. But that's not through the CCC's program. That's not through the city of Boston's program. Um, There aren't a lot of grants, but the city of Boston now has grants, which is really cool. Um, and that's really helpful, but a lot of these, I don't know, I was a part of a couple of different accelerators. I was part of Drizzly's accelerator for delivery or it wasn't Drizzly, sorry, Lantern, which was a spinoff from Drizzly and is now separate. Um, and then I also just did the black cannabis CEO thing, um, that was sponsored by parallel. And that was an amazing, As part of the first cohort out of Boston for that, And that taught you a lot more about business and put you in touch with some really good partners. Um, The city of Boston's equity program. So, like, that's a to get to the point. There's a lot of different programs that want to help bring more people People into. People trying to help you do this. Yeah, and like, it's really important. It's important for the networking. It's important for the different relationships and partners they put you in front of. And it's a place to ask questions, ask a million questions. Um, So there are tons of people who want to help, but all of these programs don't talk to each other. All of these municipalities and the state's licensing don't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it still ends up disjointed and then banking money is not connected. So that's something you absolutely need. Sometimes you need it upfront. Sometimes you need it down the line. We didn't take in a single dollar until we had a provisional license. Mo- most people have taken in their money pre-HCA, which means you're giving up more because they're risking more. I don't know what they're risking, but mm-hmm. um, I was like, I can try to spend as close to zero dollars as possible and just slowly ride my little tricycle (laughs) down to the finish line and it's hard when you watch all these other people who like you said come in fully funded and they're partnered with people and they're zooming by you and I'm like I just gotta stay this little course that I'm on um so there is that aspect of it um and then how that ties into the business slow and steady Nikki slow and steady steady. slow and steady and so I think that ties into like who we are in the Heritage Club is like our motto is where we're from is where we give back and being a black woman with the history of the war on drugs being that that being part of our history is definitely gonna tie in as does just the history of Boston and and where we're going to go with that. So we're in Charlestown. It's the oldest neighborhood. It's a majority white neighborhood where I was rejected the first time I came in um, and applied with the city of Boston. They were the first neighborhood to boycott busing. So there is like the history of where we're from. Like, how do we continue to give back? And hopefully we can apply that to every neighborhood if we're able to open multiple stores to give back to different causes in each of those areas or to give back to people in each of those areas. So I do want it to be part of the mission um, and education to be a part of it. So our store number is 1911, which is the year that Massachusetts made it illegal to have cannabis. Massachusetts was the first state to make cannabis illegal. Nobody talks about it. Um, And I think how we can weave that little bit of education into our experience in the store and our products is what's going to make it like different. But yeah, there's a lot to it. It's 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 a moving thing.
0: It's easy to hang your hat on like the, we've got fire weed, you know, just we've got the best products or like we're pushing awesome deals. Like it's so easy to, you know, hang one's even identity, you know, brand identity on, on, you know, the convenience store of it all, but really like having that as being like almost, you know, I don't want to say secondary, but it it's, it's not the main priority, right? Like the main priority is really that community piece and that education component, because like that, that's what makes it interesting. Like, you know, you probably are going to have the best products, but the fact that you're making the the products interesting beyond like what happens when I, you know, take it out of the thing, like that's going to be more impactful. And that's the same reason, you know, people are buying iPhone 14s you know what i mean and they're, they're right? keep coming back yeah it's that same sort of thing like it's clear that you know that's another bit of that kool-aid that you drank for sure exactly what other um black-owned female-owned uh cannabis businesses are you excited to work with like
1: yeah so there's actually a, a few so obviously Justin incredible is a cultivator um, I think the only black cultivator in the space, but freshly baked. They make edibles. They're black owned, veteran owned, and it's exciting to um, work with mission driven brands. And we want to highlight those in the shop. So we're gonna have a section dedicated to working um, with and educating on those brands, putting their putting their like products front and. Um, front and center so that people can know who they are and try them out i don't think any other store that i've been to has like a mission-driven section um coast cannabis it's female owned and managed i don't know if it's majority but um they are creating cool products good products and i don't have a problem working with mso's i think um there's some really cool kind of lines that they're creating like last prisoner project yep that's cool to see. It's cool to see that like where the money actually goes. So finding brands that are investing that way. Um, but ration cannabis, which I don't know on how many stores they're in yet, but they are doing a lot for veterans. And that's, I like seeing stuff that has a, yeah, I like things that have like a little more meaning to them. So that's really cool. And then for the other ones that are out there, I think there's a bunch of, Um, minority owned businesses. I know Pure Oasis. So they were actually the first black owned shop in Boston. Um, Kobe Evans has been a huge mentor, but we'll be the first black woman on. So that's like, the key thing is like, we have a woman mayor now in Boston and like, we're making all this history, but like, we can't get a foothold in cannabis and Boston's only going to have 52 licenses that they're giving out. So if there only is one in 52, like that's not even 1%. So yeah, it's like, it's crazy to like, push to be in Boston and realize that we're still making history doing it and that there isn't, there's still no representation. I don't know how that's going to happen. And I don't know how the equity program needs to change to make that easier. Sometimes mm-hmm. having that, they have the requirement that you have to own 51% that can make it really difficult for you to raise money, but yeah. they want you to have control of your company. So there's like a, little, a couple of different aspects about, how that should work to make it easier for Black people to have ownership of their businesses um, and still be considered equity. I know the state dropped that to 9.9, whereas the city of Boston is staying at 51. Um, But if they hadn't have had that protection set up for me, people would have pushed me past 51. So that kind of gave me a buffer that I wouldn't have otherwise had. So I don't know how they need to like restructure this.
0: It's weird, like it it just seems like out the gate, every aspect of cannabis in whatever state, except for maybe Oklahoma is totally overregulated, and that's just the nature of it. Like these things will scale back. And I'm, you know, you know, I, this probably lends you zero comfort, right? Like right now as you're going through the process, but like for future generations of social equity applicants or just applicants in general, like the, my assumption is the barrier to entry will be less and less and less the costs uh, to entry will be less and less, um, but yeah, it's that's that's why it's important for people like you to uh, figure it out for the people before you know, after you, right? And that's <laughs> They're gonna big- read your book. Listen, your book is gonna be a bestseller. Um, by the way, you're writing a book. Um, I'm writing a book. I'm gonna try. Yeah, everyone's gonna buy it. There's gonna um, be an album after. <laughs> so I I, I kind of said I, I mentioned this earlier, but there's some you know most corporate spin on inclusivity on whatever social equity can be cringy. Um, So, but that doesn't seem to necessarily be the case in cannabis, maybe a little bit, but I'm curious, just like your thoughts on that and whether or not, or or what maybe like other industries can take from the emerging cannabis industry when it comes to specifically social equity.
1: I think it's, there's a lot of things they can take and a lot of things they can ignore, but I think let's, fund- let's
0: talk about the things they can ignore because I think that that's yeah. equally important.
1: Um, I think just saying you want to have it. Like I think every state like wants to have it, but if there's no accountability um, there needs to be measurements of success and check-ins for that. And then I think when you find that something, is a barrier to entry for equity applicants that should be looked at first and immediately so if there's anything I wish they did different was that in writing these laws that look for inclusion and equity that they left themselves some room to change the rules to make it easier for equity applicants and for that reason only Um, because like right now I have priority review at the application section of the CCC I don't have any priority status in terms of final inspections and final licensure. So that means that I have 60 days where I can't open my business, but I have to pay green rent. This is like the green tax that is on rent that isn't like the normal standard rent. Um, And I'm just bleeding money for 60 days. And I need to hire people. And I can't hire them if I don't know what that date is. And nobody's going to tell me what that date is and probably until two weeks out. So the day I find out is the way, day I tell employees and they get noticed. So I think just like looking ahead, I think there was like maybe like some at some point nobody looked ahead and said, how is this going to work in action? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important. And then I think in terms of the things that they can definitely take is the need for financing. I think like 4% of VC funds go to minority, um, minority women-owned businesses as well. So I don't think the numbers are that different in cannabis than they are from tech. And there's just a lack of access to funding. There's a lack of access to education and there's a lack of connectivity between the people who are providing funding and the people who are providing education. Those are like the high level bullet points
0: if I could sum it up. Cool, well, we'll make that a clip. That's a clip right there. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's the clip we'll put out for how the good and bad of the social equity aspect of starting a cannabis business. It just, it it is a a whole other layer of complexity. It it seems like it's created to make complex things less complex to lower the barrier of entry, but in fact, it might be doing a little bit of the opposite.
1: Exactly. And the one thing while we're on that, I'll add is like, if you're an EE applicant, they have specific requirements for who you can hire and how many of each type you should have. But if you're a general applicant, there's no requirement for that. Whereas I feel it should be the opposite. If you're an EE applicant, you should be able to hire whoever you can to get your business going. And if you're a well-funded general applicant, you should have very strict requirements on who you can hire and not have lofty diversity goals, but have diversity minimum standards that in order to be diverse, (laughs) yeah, that you need. So, and I think that that can even include like, third-party contractors like say that you use a um marketing firm like you if you guys like have who? A like who would you use <laughs> if you have yeah, you're using Letters, who
0: what <laughs> them they're great yeah.
1: exactly <laughs> who like has an you guys have a commitment right like so you guys make a commitment to social equity for people listening looking to get a amazing site done um and i think that that's something that like there's got to be other ways to think
0: about it as Besides just employees, like making it broader. Well, I mean, it definitely helped us think about it. You know, you were, I think maybe our first uh, social equity licensed client, I think. And that was not something that we had considered. It's not something we had considered. We didn't know like how to attract that customer persona, Um, what to do in order to make sure that that customer persona felt valued and uh, almost as importantly to the uh, external reasons why to do this, the internal reasons it's well, you know, we can't, you know, we're not at a, at any sort of uh, capacity where we can be giving things away for free. So what does social equity mean to us? Like, and we're, you know, a bunch of naive Vermont people, like, we don't know it's and and it took like having the experience and busting out of this bubble to understand like, okay, well, here's some solutions to this. It's, it's certainly not free, but it's an, it's a lower point of entry because that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that this industry is as fair as possible and that people are getting into it because like, you don't hear about that shit in other industries at all. Like you hear about, you know, uh, maybe, you know, women in the workplace and and the disparaging wage numbers and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, the, the diversity aspect of it, I just feel is like such it's again, it's something a company can hang their brand identity on. It's like we're a diverse company. It's like, OK, well, how? <laughs> Show me. Exactly. Do it. Right. Um, so I appreciate you for allowing us the opportunity to like kind of figure that out, because up until working with you, we hadn't. Um, and not that we figured it out, but we know like kind of maybe what to do, what not to do and, you know, moving forward.
1: Definitely. And I think you guys yeah. are generally, genuinely committed to it, whereas some people are like, oh, yeah, we want to be helpful. But I think you guys like that's the difference. And you can kind of like sense that when someone's really trying to help you and when they're like just kind of like playing to like the idea of wanting to help with that. And I really. Yeah. Appreciate that aspect of it. And we've been really intentional about like choosing partners based off of who's also committed to equity as it kind of morphs to whatever that means.
0: I mean, part of the fun thing about doing these podcasts is, is finding where I align with like-minded entrepreneurs, you know, who are, who are really like, it's fun. It's fun to be successful in this industry it's not about chasing bags. It's really about like setting it up for future generations to turn this into a real industry that can, you know, employ people of this country that can improve the economy, can improve local economies, all that stuff. And who would have thought that it was weed that was going to do it? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, my mom. mom knew. Dr. yes Dom exactly knew. dr mom i love that <laughs> nikki oh. john we took it all the way from the red zone at the apple store all the way to opening your new boston dispensary the heritage club by the way when are we shooting when, when are we shooting open
1: end of july early august but don't hold me to it but yeah hold me to it i hope that happens we're holding
0: you to it for sure end of july beginning of august you heard it here first folks uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We appreciate you being part of the Canon Planners family, and we're all very excited to see the wonderful things you do with the Heritage Club. Uh, can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and your story and your story and you?
1: Yes. So you can check us out on our website designed by Canon Planners and it's gorgeous. Oh. Yeah. At heritageclubthc.com. So yeah, below. if you type that in. Yep. Check it out. Sign up for the mailing list.
0: Hell yeah. Nikki John, it has been awesome. Folks, this has been another episode of Common Common Sense AMIA. I've been your host, Will Reed. We will see you next time. Bye.